Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be purity and generosity. Let's begin today in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in the first verse, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In this passage, we find part of the famous Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever given. And we find here a lot of lessons that the Lord gave us. But there's one in particular that we need to look at today. Verse 8 told us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We all want to be blessed. We all want to see God. So the first thing we have to ask ourselves is who are the pure in heart? And what does it even mean to be pure in heart? How would we know who's pure and who's not? And how would we know if we're pure by God's definition? These are important things that we need to know. Otherwise, if we're not sure, uncertainty, doubt, and the fears that accompany those will just take its place. The first thing we need to do is see what purity is. In the Greek, it's defined as clean, pure, unstained, either literally or spiritually, guiltless, innocent, upright. The concordance also says that it means, without admixture, what is separated, purged, hence clean and pure, because of its being unmixed with undesirable elements, being spiritually clean because of being purged and purified by God, free from the contaminating and soiling influences of sin. Purity means that we're separated, that we're cleansed by God, which we know He's already done through the sacrifice of His Son on our behalf. His blood cleansed us once and for all from our sins, past, present, and future. That being the case, today we're pure, not because of anything that we've done, but solely because of what Jesus did in our place. He is purity itself, purity personified, and He imputed that purity to us. When we sacrificed our old life to Him, He removed the undesirable elements from our life, he gave us a new heart and a new spirit. He gave us a brand new start. And now, although we still struggle with sin and always will, it won't contaminate us or soil us, especially in our spirit, which is the most precious part of our being. Our spirit will be protected because now our spirit doesn't sit unused and unutilized. Now the Lord dwells within our spirit, which influences and controls our soul and our body. It's the fact that He specifically dwells within our spirit that makes all the difference. Verse 8 said, The pure in heart. Heart is the key word. We know that this is the word that's used to refer to the spirit in both the Hebrew and the Greek. The pure in spirit, they're the ones who see God. When we have God dwelling in our spirit, the God who is purity himself, how could we not be pure? Of course we would be, just by nature of its essence indwelling us. Then the issue isn't whether we're pure or not. We know that we are if we're saved. Now the question is, how do we allow that purity that dwells within us to rise to the surface? The problem today is that so many people who are saved have that purity there, 
It's within them, but they don't let it show forth. They don't let it manifest. They don't let it rise to the surface. They let their carnal mind, their own thoughts and emotions, block it from ever seeing the surface, which results in either impure actions, or even more subtly than that, actions that taken at face value may be good in and of themselves, but are derived from an impure motive. The same can be true of words and thoughts and many other aspects of our daily lives. Having purity isn't enough on its own. We need to let that purity have a direct influence and impact on how we live our lives, because that's part of how we let our light shine, that's part of how we live in love, and these things draw others to Christ. The world doesn't have purity in their spirit. They don't even use or understand their spirit, so it's no surprise when they act and speak in an impure way. Of course they would. We can't reasonably expect anything different, but we can expect something different from Christians, and we should. We should demand something different. Because part of living the saved life is requiring of ourselves a higher standard of living, a standard rooted in the truth of God's word and his light, not the ignorance and darkness that the world is steeped in. So the question we now have to ask ourselves is how can purity rise to the surface? How can we outwardly demonstrate our purity? Luke 11.41 in the Living Bible tells us, Purity is best demonstrated by generosity. Generosity, that's how you show the purity that dwells within you. But why is that? What is it about generosity that makes it indicative of inward purity? Generosity is so contrary to our fallen human nature, so contrary to our own carnal mind and will, that it shows the Lord's influence on our life and on our actions. That's not to say that generosity doesn't exist in the world. It definitely does, and sometimes even more so than in the church. But when generosity becomes an entire way of life, Generosity for the right motives, and not just a one-time or once-in-a-blue-moon type of thing. Then it shows something much deeper is going on. There's been a reordering of our life and our desires. Something deeper, something higher than the carnal mind and carnal reasoning is directing our actions. And that director is God. Generosity is a concept that the carnal mind has such a hard time accepting, because as we know, it doesn't want to lose anything, and generosity just seems like another way to easily lose without gaining. But the carnal mind doesn't understand spiritual things, and it can't. It's not able to. Romans 8 and 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So knowing this, it'll never come to terms with the greater desire to give. And subsequently, it will never stop warring against our spirit to try to prevent that desire from being acted upon. The carnal mind doesn't want you to be generous at all. It wants to hoard and lay up treasures for itself, now on the earth, while our spirit tells us to lay up treasures for later, in heaven. When we give, nothing's lost at all. We're actually gaining far more than we could ever fathom. We're gaining forever, for an eternity. But the short-sighted mind wants you to think the opposite, which becomes such a great stumbling block to so many of God's people who allow the carnal mind to suppress the desire to give that the Lord has impressed upon their heart. Generosity is a thread that we find running all throughout Scripture. The word give appears in Scripture more than 2,300 times. That's more than the words love, fear, hope, peace, and joy combined. It's important. It can't be done without. And the devil knows this, which is why he causes there to be such a battle to give. Generosity is a powerful tool. It's something people remember about us. It's something that shocks some people. It causes them to think and wonder, why were we so willing to give so freely to others? So what is it about giving that gives it such power and such a unique role? Its power is derived from the fact that it's an act and a demonstration of love. 
You have to have love in order to give. John 3 and 16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the first half of the verse that stands out. For God so loved the world, that he gave. Like all great teachers, God didn't just tell us to do something without showing it in action. He showed us how to do it. He showed us what it looked like. And then he told us that we need to do it too. He wasn't all talk and no action. He did the same thing that he tells us to do. We see from the wording of this verse that the giving was predicated on the love. The love laid the foundation for the giving. The love had to come first because it caused the impulse to give. It was the intention behind the action. And the same is true of giving anything to anyone. There must be love. Love for God. Love for our family, our friends, our neighbor. Love has to be the driving force. People who don't love, don't give. Those are the stingy, cheap, self-centered people who keep everything to themselves, not willing to share what they have, even though they've received everything that they have from God, even if they don't realize or admit that. They've been the recipient of God's great gifts, but then they won't give to others, which shows what's so bad about not being generous. It shows the impurity behind it. Since what they have is a gift to them, when they turn around and refuse to give those same things to others, they twist what was meant to be a blessing into a curse. They twist what was meant for good into something evil, something meant to add to something to be withheld. This is why stinginess is not only impure, but why it breeds misery, sorrow, bitterness, and discontentment. It's not just a feeling. It's not just an attitude. It's a spirit, and it's an unclean spirit that people would oppress them, and it attempts to control their minds and hearts just like all spirits do. When we make no effort to follow the impulse to be generous, the impulse to make that our lifestyle, we give in to the stinginess that the devil wants us to have. And instead of demonstrating our purity to the world around us, we instead demonstrate the impurity that the devil is trying to inflict upon us. We can't let that happen. We need to push past the lies of the enemy, telling us that giving is a waste or it's foolish or it'll only cost us. We have to know and stand on the truth of God's word. That generosity isn't just a suggestion, but it's a command. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning in the 19th verse, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Verses 22 to 23 told us, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? This passage, although it may not seem to at first glance, has a lot to do with generosity. Most scholars and theologians interpret this to be referring to spiritual vision, the conscience, and the ability to reason through spiritual things. These things are also true, and most scholars point out that they believe that the Lord used ambiguous language here on purpose so that we could derive multiple lessons from the same passage, as we find to be the case with plenty of other scriptures. 
but the one that far too often flies under the radar is the lesson about generosity that these verses teach. The devil wants the truth about giving and generosity to be hidden because he doesn't want purity to be seen by his people. The reason for that is because an impure person can't see purity and not become aware of their own impurity, which then forces them to think about the state of their soul. And if the Holy Spirit works in their heart, it can open them up to salvation. Just like a spot of black ink on a white paper can't be missed, purity in the face of impurity can't be missed either. It stands out. It's clearly separate. It's clearly different, which is why God uses it to bring others to himself. So we have to then ask ourselves, where is it in these verses that we find generosity being referred to? First, we need to remember that the Lord was still giving the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5 to 7 contains this sermon, so that's the larger context. Plus, we have to consider who he was speaking to. Firstly, there were the disciples, but there was also the multitude. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 25 says, and there followed them great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. He was speaking to the Israelites, the Jewish people, and knowing that is imperative to understanding why Jesus said this. It may seem to some to be a cryptic way of speaking. What does it even mean for an eye to be single or for an eye to be evil? Gill's Bible commentary offers some interesting insight into these verses. It says, If therefore then I be single, that is, if thy mind be liberal, generous, and bountiful, for Christ is still upon the same subject of liberality and against covetousness, and here speaks entirely in the language of the Jews, who could easily understand him. In whose writings, we read of three sorts of eyes, a good eye, a middling one, and an evil one. So is the offerings of the first fruits. Their writings say, a good eye gave the fortieth, the house Shammai say the thirtieth part, a middling one the fiftieth, and an evil one the sixtieth. Upon which the commentators say, a good eye means one that is liberal, and an evil eye the contrary. Hence you often read of trading, dedicating, and giving with a good or an evil eye, that is either generously, liberally, or in a stubborn, grudging manner, which may help us to the sense of our Lord in these words, whose meaning is, that if a man is not covetous, but his mind is disposed to generosity or liberality, if this be the case, he should say, thy whole body shall be full of light. All thy actions will be influenced by this noble principle. Thy whole life will be illuminated, guided, and governed by it. Thy mind will be cheerful and pleasant, and thy estate and condition will be prosperous and successful. The single eye is a generous eye. The evil eye is a stingy, greedy, miserly eye. And the effect of those different states of mind are clearly evident. Generosity brings light. Earlier, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 16, let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When people see our good works, when they see our generosity, it allows the light that's within us to shine forth to those around us. We need light in order to see anything. No one can see something in total darkness. It's only the illumination of light that makes a sense of sight of any value. The eye in verses 22 and 23 isn't talking about the natural eye. It's referring to the spiritual eye. In the Greek, it means the mind's eye. Since we're dealing with spiritual sight, and since we're dealing with light that illuminates the darkness so that we can see in the first place, it makes it even that much clearer as to why, as Matthew 5 and 8 says, it's the pure in heart that shall see God. We can't see the Lord in the darkness of the unredeemed heart. 
We can't see him in the darkness of the carnal-minded nature. We can't see him in the darkness of a world that's contrary and hostile towards him and his things. That doesn't mean that he's not there, only that he can't be seen. We can always see him when he opens our eyes to the light of his word, the light of his spirit, the light of himself. The word see in Matthew 5 and 8 means in the Greek, to see, perceive, attend to, look upon, experience, perceive, discern. Now keeping in mind that the eye from Matthew 6 means the mind's eye, the commentary goes on to say about the word see, that it means to see with the mind, spiritually see, to perceive with inward spiritual perception. It's generosity that helps us to see God. It's through our generosity and the generosity of others that we see demonstrations of God's love and His grace in the world around us, little pockets of light and a world full of darkness. It's through God's generosity that we even have the chance to see Him, and it was through His generosity of giving His Son that we see Him for who He really is, as a God of generosity, a God of love, and a God of grace. Giving is a demonstration of the God within us, solely for the fact, like we saw before, that it's an act of agape love, something that costs us something. 1 John 4 and 8 and 1 John 4 16 both reiterate the fact that God is love. So of course seeing generosity and seeing someone give is a glimpse of the nature and spirit of God. Giving isn't just money either. That's a dangerous modern misconception because that automatically puts a limit on what we consider to be generous or not and it misses out on some of the much better gifts outside of money. James 1 and 27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. This is giving too, greater giving than just giving money. This is giving of our time, which is our most valuable asset, and giving of our effort and energy on behalf of others, giving to them just like God gave to us. Showing them love, just like God loved us. We can't let the world's stinginess, their covetousness, or their cheapness affect us. We have to stay unspotted from these things, keeping our eyes single, keeping it ready and willing to be generous, giving to all men that ask of thee. It's part of our nature to be stingy, to want to withhold what we have from others, keeping it for ourselves. We inherently fear loss and desire gain. That's normal, but normal doesn't always mean good. That's a part of us that we have to sacrifice on the altar to God. We have to pick up the cross of generosity and carry it with Christ, following Him and His example. Colossians 3 and 5 says in the English Standard Version, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Impurity. We can't let it survive in our hearts. We have to let the purity of God within us cleanse us from it. We have to let him remove it once and for all, because as we see here, the danger of not doing so is idolatry, which is a serious charge. That's why Jesus said in verse 24, right after talking about the importance of the eye being single, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We can't let money become an idol, and our cheapness and refusal to give become the way that we feed and make offerings to that idol. We need to starve it and remove it through our decision to give and to give generously. The way we do this is by drawing closer to God. The closer we get to Him, the more we allow our mind to be renewed into a closer image of His, the more we won't be able to resist the urge to give generously. James 4 and 8 tells us, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. 
Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. We're double-minded when we allow the war between stinginess and generosity to rage uncontrolled within us. But when we take a stand for what's right, a stand for giving, just like the Lord did, our eye becomes single, our eye becomes good. The eye that, just like in the Talmud, wants to give the most of its first fruits. The eye that wants to bless people and uplift them, not just in words, but more importantly, in action. Even the Muslims use the same word for alms that we do in the Greek, and they have the belief that when they give generously, they purify their substance and their souls. Their understanding may be incomplete, but even they, who don't have the life that we have, understand the importance of giving. How much more should we, and how much better it is when we understand this too? This is how we show forth our purity, and this is how we see God, not physically, but spiritually not only in ourselves, but also in our neighbor. And there's no better sight in all the world than to see God, His nature, and His Spirit at work in this dark world. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank You for this day, and we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You removed the impurity from our heart forever, that You took away the contaminating and the undesirable elements of sin from our life, that You forgave us past, present, and future, and Lord, we thank you that you gave us a new heart and a new spirit, a brand new start on life. Lord, we thank you for the purity that is now within us, because now you indwell our spirit, and you are purity itself. You're the personification of purity. And Lord, we thank you that you're going to grant us the wisdom and the strength to allow that purity within us to rise to the surface through our generosity. Lord, today as we draw nigh to you, Lord, we ask that you make us generous people, that you implant within us an insatiable desire to give to those around us, to give with no expectation of anything back, but to give blindly in agape love, just like you gave to us. Lord, we thank you for this new desire. We thank you for the strength, the initiative, and the desire to act upon it and to bring it to fruition. And Lord, we thank you for all the lives that are going to be touched and changed through our desire to give. And Lord, we thank you that as our light shines, that it's going to illuminate the darkness in the lives of those around us, and that they'll see you and their need for you, and that they'll be drawn to your spirit. Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to be generous and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for His forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for His free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.